So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, I press record. I pressed record. We're recording. <laughs> Welcome to Feature Creep. Colon. colon. Built-in microwave. Semicolon. Uh, what you don't know about your flop sweat might be killing you. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Um, and I think before we get to why or what you don't know about it and why it might be killing you or, you know, uh, the real problems, um, I thought we should right. just talk about what it is. Uh, so according to Merriam-Webster, flop sweat, and that's uh, this can either be spelled as two separate words, F-L-O-P, sweat, S-W-E-A-T, or uh, one word, flop sweat. Um, so Merriam-Webster says it's a nervous sweat as as of a performer, for instance, caused especially by the fear of failing. Uh-huh. Um, I think about, like, I think about my own experience with flop sweat. And as somebody who sweats it, like, any any reason to sweat, my body's like, yes, <laughs> get this water out of me any way I can. Um, We're both very sweaty people. Yeah, yeah. It's like... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think about how um I guess I guess I associate flop sweat with anxiety. Like I guess I don't often use it in that term because oftentimes like my anxiety is a hilarious like artifact of the thing we're about to be doing. Um <laughs> like I guess I think about um you know if I were to describe like my feelings in some of these moments definitely anxiety but it's not something that I'm like oh god I'm having an anxiety attack or it's not that like debilitating anxiety that I'm suffering from that I like that I would want to avoid it's more just like oh and then there's that rush of anxiety as I like charge forward into this insanity um (laughs) I think it's like I think you and I could be classified as extremely brave people because we're under like crushing anxious feelings all of the time. (laughs) And yet we persist. Yes, (laughs) We keep showing up. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, like even now, like where it's like we're separated by many miles and there's a computer and all of that. It's like, I still have that bit of anxiety about like recording the podcast what yeah. you know even if i think about it too hard like what i'm gonna say next i mean like right now but okay now right now like right now like like right now yeah like right now well now um <laughs> it's just like there's a there's like a part of my brain that's just fully dedicated to just like turning the anxiety engine over and over like just keep that thing going <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> same yeah oh my god yeah i think like uh it, I didn't realize that, like, flop sweats were things. Like, I thought I was just a sweaty person. But most of when I get sweaty is from flop sweat. Like, something startled. Like, a sound startles yes, me. Right. I'm like, ah, buckets. Yes. <laughs> or, like, uh, I have to log in for, like, my school classes, which I've done many, many times now. But I'm like, what if this is the time something goes wrong? Right. Which would have, like, super minor consequences anyway. And yet I'm like, oh, I just sweat through my shirt. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> this is why I hate wearing clothes most of the time because I'm always flop sweaty. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I would rather just not have clothes on because they just get all gross anyway. 
Right? Yeah, you're just like, I've changed my shirt five times today. What is the right. point of this? <laughs> I just got out of the bathtub and something spooked me, and now right. I have to take another bath. <laughs> like, I can imagine, like, I like in my mind, like, the scene is like, we're like in some, like, park setting or something, and somebody's mm-hmm. like, like, oh, did you see that bird? And then they turn and look at us, and we're both pouring flop sweat, and it's like, oh, yeah, we did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We saw it right away. Yeah, we saw it right away. (laughs) I'm already starting to cool down and dry off. (laughs) (laughs) Way ahead of you. (laughs) I like, uh, uh, I get flop sweats for all kinds of stuff. I remember when I used to have to perform music at Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis. Yeah. I was in high school and I didn't like performing. I like playing instruments and I like playing them with other people and making music, but I don't like performing for groups of people who are just sitting there staring at you dead eyed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a giant orchestra hall. And um there were a few times like I sat second chair and so I was right up next to the audience. And I remember walking out onto stage mm-hmm. and I remember sitting down and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> And I did it like six times. <laughs> I don't. I bet playing orchestra hall was great for everybody else. For me, I right. just like blacked out, <laughs> sweat all over my body, uh-huh. <laughs> wet hands. Yeah, I think everybody liked it. I don't remember it. Like I remember getting off of the stage just fine. So it must have gone well each of the times I played there. But who knows? Right, right. I. I don't as so when i was a kid i performed a lot in band um but we had the kind of even in the even in the jazz band that i played in in high school we we had enough people that i i wasn't like share i wasn't like the solo artist on the stage you know mm-hmm. yes thank god and so i guess like i just didn't really think about it it's something i'd been doing so much it was just part of the routine like when you were in band there were a couple of concerts a year and you just sat in your chair and you played your part and did your thing and um, when I transitioned to jazz band, that still was fine because there were enough of us. I didn't really feel like singled out. And then, um, and then more recently, like in the last like 15 years, like when I started playing cello, and I uh, my teacher had kind of pushed me to go to some of her recitals and like play, be like represent some of her students. And mm-hmm. um, and I remember the first time I did it, I was like, whatever. This I didn't even think about it. I just showed up like ready to sit down. And it wasn't until I walked up on the stage. And then just the flop sweat just pouring out of me. And all of a sudden, because it's like, like to set the scene, I'm an older student. Like, because I had started, I wasn't like an advanced student where I'm an older yeah. student, but I'm really good. And so I'm not doing this kind of thing. I'm like, I'm not that great. I'm still learning a lot of the parts. I'm still like working uh-huh. up my, you know, my abilities. And, um, and so most of the students are much younger, like, you know, grade school kind of or a little bit older depending there was I think there was one or two other adults in and it was not just me like her students there were others you know other people and it was like a conglomeration of anyway so the audience of course what comprises the audience is parents and so it's moms and dads or dads and dads and moms and moms or you know thems and theys and all the people but they're all the parents right and the various like adults of these children and they're like every every dad um has a massive can- like like 
like thousand dollars worth of like video equipment, right? Yeah. Like to videotape their child on stage with like zoom lenses and audio gear and like cables running everywhere. And they're all mm-hmm. just like amateur fucking record. Like, you know, it's just amateur hour everywhere. And there's just all these cameras and like, there's probably more cameras than there are fucking people in seats. Um, it's like the AV club. Yeah. Like the <laughs> AV club showed up to practice. Like they're, you know, getting their shit set up. And so, um, <laughs> And so, like, I'm just all, like, just all of a sudden just flop sweat. And I'm sure there's a really excellent video of me just, like, dumping <laughs> buckets on stage while I try to get through this, like, Bach piece or something. <laughs> oh, man. I always think of, like, uh, our potential for flop sweat is, like, we're like a sponge that's totally saturated but yes. is just left sitting there. And then all of a sudden it's just, like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Everything looks fine until you just like disturb it a little and then it's just, it's just like... dumping water out. Yes. <laughs> when I had to get a cortisone injection in my knee uh-huh. in like 2011, uh, it was super fucking painful. And like the way that they described it, like, oh, it's going to be a little painful. Like, that's a lie. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> yes. It was right behind my spinal tap in terms of how painful it was because the needle's insanely long and it has to go all the way into the bursa in your kneecap. Oh, God. And, so, like, yeah, it's, it, yeah. It was so bad. And after I was done, like, they were, <laughs> they had to leave me to like go talk to people in the lobby because, like, other people waiting for their appointments heard me screaming, and, <laughs> like upset people, and so they came back, and I was still sitting on the like exam table, uh-huh. maybe like five or ten minutes after they had actually given me the injection, because it puts like, first of all, it puts a bunch of fluid into your joint, so the right. joint becomes really stiff because it's overfilled with stuff, mm-hmm. um, and it hurt really fucking bad. I mean, that needle is like three or four or five inches long. It's really long. It's a long ass gigantic needle um and so i was just kind of sitting there trying to like recollect myself and when i stood up there was an actual like standing water puddle of sweat under (laughs) where i was sitting on the exam table right (laughs) so gross like that that like paper barrier was just like useless (laughs) just like just bits of tissue just wasting away in this puddle of yeah Yes, it looked like, you know, like when you go to a public pool in the summertime and you go into the bathroom and there's like gross clumps of wet toilet paper just sitting on the floor. It was like that. (laughs) It's so gross. And everybody acted like I was somehow like overreacting to this. And I'm like, no. (laughs) My reaction was completely valid. Yeah. I had like... They don't give you anesthetic or anything. They just like ram this giant needle into your knee and then they leave it sitting there while they unscrew the syringe and then hook the next syringe yes. up because it's a two-part system. Uh-huh. And then they screw another syringe into a ne- into a needle that's like impaling you- your kneecap. Yes, right. And then they like pump some more shit into you after the first thing is it it's, it was horrible. Like, yeah, the spinal tap, I think, was the only medical procedure I've had that was worse than that. Oh, God. Yeah, that's brutal. just awful. Although, I mean, I may have had a flop sweat when I woke up during a surgery and then the look on everybody else's faces <laughs> made me really concerned. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to be noticing this right now. Right. And I can tell because you're all panicking. And then the lights went out again. <laughs> that probably made me sweat a bunch. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but I wasn't conscious for it that time. 
<laughs> and then, like I said, even random little things can cause a flop sweat. Like, um, oh, God, if the phone rings, I'm like, whoa, who's yes, it now? Right. Flop sweat. <laughs> Letter comes in the mail. Is this from the IRS? What if they audit me? Right. Flop sweat. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. <sighs> yeah, flop sweats are brutal. Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, the fun, like, I mean, so it's pretty understandable that, you know, flop sweat basically is linked to like spikes in adrenaline, right? Like, that's kind right. of, um, but man, it is hilarious how that just kind of just, like, my immediate reaction is just to start sweating. It's like in the anticipation mm-hmm. of the adrenaline that hasn't even taken effect yet, my body's like, just get the water out, just dump it. Right. <laughs> We're about to be really hot. Get sweaty. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I wonder, like, what evolutionary biology there is behind the sweating. Like, what purpose does that serve? I don't know. I I mean, I guess, like, in my mind, the, like, very rudimentary connection is that if adrenaline is happening, it means I'm about to be very physically active because the things right. I'm afraid of means run away, which means we're going to have to cool off. So get the water out there on the skin so we can cool off quicker. Like be ready to cool off you know right this is so interesting like i've been reading a lot about um your nervous system's response to like perceived threats and like a lot of people it's it's about even thirds there's the fight response or the flight response or the freeze response Mm -hmm. and of the three i am definitely the fight response (laughs) (laughs) like if someone surprises me i'm one day i'm gonna just like punch somebody Uh uh-huh you know I don't, I don't know. I think that's a hard thing for me to know. Like, I, I've spent so much of my life trying to avoid those kinds of situations before they ever <laughs> even come to that point that I can't really think of, like, like, generally, I think of myself doing pretty good in a pinch, like, if things are kind of getting out of hand. But, um, yeah. but those aren't really situations where I think about, like... Like, they're not immediately life-threatening. It's, like, by the Mm -hmm. time the adrenaline, like, you know, where there's, like, a dangerous situation that I've now gotten to, like, sailing and there's bad weather or, like, um, you know, driving a car or things like that. Usually those aren't really, like, that kind of response where it's, like, you just lock up or you just run away or you punch somebody. Like, there's no one to punch when the wind's blowing real hard and the rain's (laughs) dumping on you and the boat's keeled over. You know, that's not... Right. (laughs) So... I don't know. I'm not sure how my I I don't I might be a freezer sometimes. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely a fighter like my heart rate skyrockets and I start pumping yeah. sweat and then I'm like I have the feeling that I get is very similar to like when you're on the starting line at a race uh-huh. and you're in starting position and they're like ready and you like ready yourself on the line, and then they say set, and you kind of like perk up a little bit, and then right before they say go, the like tension, the spring like tension that your whole body is under, where you're just gonna like shoot off the starting line when the gun goes off. Uh-huh. That's how I feel most of the time when something startles oh me. <laughs> <laughs> like, or even like even talking about things that are like upsetting, it right. does the same thing to me. Right. Yeah. So funny. So, uh, we had a couple of things we wanted to talk about on this podcast today. And the other thing was Gio Ponti's daughter, Lisa Ponti. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, kind of getting back to our roots as an art and design podcast, I thought we right. could talk about. And this links a little bit to the toilet designer because Gio Ponti was a toilet designer, among other Ha-ha, things. Ha yes. And so, um, you know, rather than talk about, um, well, we'll get back to the flop sweat because it is an important, um, we do want to resolve that at some point. Right. Because uh, the question still remains, like, what is it you don't know about it that might be killing you? But mm-hmm. we'll it's, come back to that. This is serious. This is, that was getting a little intense. So let's like segue. Yeah. So Gio Ponti. I got to dry out. Yeah. <laughs> Gio Ponti um, was alive from ni- uh, 1891 to 1979. And he was an Italian architect, industrial designer, furniture designer, artist, teacher, writer, and publisher. Like many people of this time, like people who had like wealth just kind of like took on titles of all kinds of shit they felt like doing because um, mm-hmm. they didn't have to work. But. Um, you know, I, I actually don't know about it, about him. He was probably very industri- industrious, but, um, anyway, he was, he was basically an architect, but he did some design and some of the things that he designed were, uh, you know, sanitary structures, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he, he made some, he made like, uh, some toilets and some sinks or designed some toilets and sinks for ideal standard, which is a, you know, a pretty big. Uh, international toilet making company basically Um, but you know he's not really the interesting thing about this story Uh, the really interesting thing is that he had a daughter Lisa Ponty and uh, her shit's amazing yeah so she uh, she was alive from um, I believe 1922 until she was born in Milan in 1922 and then died in 2019. Um, and so she was a, an Italian artist in the U S uh, and she was a critic editor and artist. So she, mm. she made some significant contributions to the field of art and culture, uh, in the post-war time in Italy. Um, and kind of the point of talking about her is that, um, like, many women she's been overshadowed by some other man in her life right so right um you know this in this case her dad who designs toilets yes (laughs) (laughs) um that is i and you know uh do go listen to the toilet design podcast i think it's one of our more interesting ones recently like it's less rambly than most of our stuff um it's still very (laughs) rambly but it keeps it keeps going around the whole toilet thing um yeah yeah, so you if stay you're stay on task. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean we stayed in the same box roughly. <laughs> anyway. Right. <laughs> uh Lisa Uh Lisa Ponti, um I mean, we could just talk about her drawings. They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh I would describe them as like like minimalist. They're kind of a mixed media. Like some of them are what I would describe as like a minimalist collage in the sense that she might take one one photograph or one kind of clipping from a newspaper of a particular object or mm-hmm. texture or something and then expand on that by drawing around it. So like it might be, um, you know, basically pasted onto the canvas and then she might extend it with um, ink or paint. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying yes. to find out if there's more information about this. What looks to me like ink typically or possibly paint. Um, yeah. But her pieces like she, are really great. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <clears throat> oh, um, she did a piece called Eredita that is like 
an overturned, it looks like an overturned porcelain cup with like a Greek mythological figure painted on it. And that is a photograph that she then cut out and collaged upside down onto the back of a what looks like a turtle to me. Yes. That <clears throat> and the turtle is painted in sort of like a yellowy brown color and it's mm -hmm. all line drawings and it's um done with watercolor. So there's like this up overturned cup on the back of a watercolor turtle, but it's very simple watercolor. Like Yeah, and when we say simple, like think of um some of uh um what is that artist now? It, he has just it was in my brain and now it's gone. I must have Poof. dementia. Um but that kind <laughs> Do you of have a flop sweat over it. Um yeah, what's the I'm gonna look it up. Uh you keep talking, I'll find the um, um Yeah, it's, it's her work, her line drawings remind me a little bit of like the style of Harold and the Purple Crayon. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> that's that's really fantastic. Children's book. Yeah. Um yeah. I'll think of him, but it doesn't matter. I mean it kind of in my brain went from like who's that artist I thought of him and then I was like oh but it doesn't matter because I don't really want to compare her art to his um so it doesn't matter yeah, yeah she has this really and and not all of her arts like that some of it has um some pretty cool stuff like they're each I would say each image is like pretty unique the style is similar um <clears throat> but some of mm -hmm. them are much more busy some of them are like you know, pretty simple, just kind of like conceptual ideas. There's one, I don't know what it's called. There's a great, um, there's a really good article on her at uh, ortuzerprojects.com. Um, mm, yes, O-R-T-U-Z-A-R projects.com. Yeah, and so they have a, they have a, a pretty good outline of her, her life, um, you know, like a pretty good bio. Um, and then they've got some pretty good examples of her art. That's I guess that's actually this is a physical place in New York in an art, in an art gallery. So mm -hmm. that might be a fun thing to do <clears> at some point. Um, yeah, like her art yeah. has like it's sometimes like it'll be like one color and a bit of like black line. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. Um, yeah, she did. Um, she apparently didn't really start drawing or drawing with watercolors i should say so there's like watercolor painting is a really particular type of like painting style that uses a lot of negative space but mm -hmm. her and her stuff has a lot of negative space too but she does a lot of like line drawings with the paint um so this the ortuzarprojects.com article on her says that she um always executed them swiftly on a standard a4 sheet of paper so she her medium was watercolor and paper Oh, that's why I was thinking the ink, because that the watercolor is a little yeah. bit transparent. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Um, so all of her stuff is done on eight and a half by eleven, basically, or eight and a quarter by eleven and three quarter inches, which is what the A four size is. Um, and she started really working on drawings and stuff in the nineteen seventies. Um, yeah, kind of late later in life, because she was an editor yeah. and. Um, Kind of when she died time. in 1993, she was 97 years old. So, um, 
Oh, no, that I'm wrong about that. From 1993 until shortly before her death at the age of 97, she was a, she was at the height of her career as a solo artist when she was making her A4 sheet drawings. Yeah, and she died just recently, right, in 2019? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So... So she worked on her her art on her line drawings from like 1970 to 1993, and then from 1993 until 2019, she was okay. a solo artist. Yeah, so she was. Yeah. Um, I just found this great quote. Uh, so Mouse Magazine did a interview with her. In uh, come on, where's the date? You guys should date your. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll get back to that. Let me read the quote, not to tease you too much. So um, <clears throat> House Magazine asks, uh, what advice would you give to a young artist? And she responds, try all the paths to try them all out. That's the way to learn by making mistakes. Um, and mm. she goes on to give more examples. But it's 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 something I, I think about that that's echoed oftentimes when people are asked that question. That people like once they've kind of been established in a place and they're kind of working on whatever it is or they have a body of work and then someone comes along and says, well, what advice would you give somebody else? And they're like, do all the things. Go make all the mistakes. Like you don't get yeah. here by not doing anything and then turning around and having had done it. Um, right. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I always find that um, I think that gets lost in the sort of uh, the sort of hyper hyper social media culture where you only see the like best foot forward for the most part mm -hmm. um and so what yep. you see is the like culmination of like you know it's a single photograph or it's like a short statement and you're like you see this person at the height of some experience they're having and you don't see any of the like fucking hard work that goes into getting to that point yeah uh that's a really interesting point that you make um <clears throat> A lot of what ends up available for consumption on like the internet or Instagram or wherever on social media ends up being like oh, hyper overproduced. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. Like, do you remember when they were auto tuning everybody in songs like yes. a couple decades ago? Yeah, no, it was like not. I mean, they it, still like they've the dialed back the amount of use of that, but it's it's now it's just an industry standard. They've gotten so good at it that a lot of people mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah. You don't even know. You don't even know. Um, oh, so uh, that quote was from uh, 2018. So that was like right towards the end of her life, which is, um, mm. yeah. So anyway, that's an interesting thing. So she's really had some pretty cool shit. Um, yeah. I mean, wow. I like um, <clears throat> her work was described as sort of like whimsical. Um, this... Ortuzar Project says that uh, her medium was always the European Office Standard A4, and her art was insistently playful, poetic, and succinct. I read in the other article that we were reading about her um, that when she was a kid, she wrote a lot of poetry, and one year for um, Christmas, her father published a book of her poems and gave them out to his friends as Christmas gifts and titled it from Geoponti to his friends, Geoponti uh, Ali Amici is what it was called. And um, she had a lot of really interesting, long-lasting, deep relationships with artists. Um, 
and worked with them and collaborated with them. Um, she did a lot of stuff that uses slim pencil lines and colored stickers and thick markers oh, and cool. floral motifs. And she used everyday materials like eggshells and cotton wool to produce designs that, as this says, are at turns enchanting and melancholy. Um, I really like one of her paintings. It's of a tall ship, but uh -huh. instead of there being a ship under the sails, there's just a person's face in profile and some wiggly, wiggly blue lines for water, which I thought was like really charming for some reason. I don't know why. That's really cool. Yeah. It's like, it's only got three colors in the whole painting. There's like mm -hmm. the orangey sort of color for the mast that supports the sails and the person's face underneath. And then there's a bright cerulean blue for the eyeball on the person's face in profile where? and the two little waves of water. Where can we see that? Um, architecturaldigest.com. Yeah. And um, the story is Gioponti's daughter was an, art, uh, was an accomplished artist in her own right. That's the title of it. So architecturaldigest.com. And if you scroll down, you will see two pictures there of her work. One of the turtle with the cup upside down and... The next of the person ship, <laughs> which is oh, untitled. Yes. Otherwise, I would give you what the title yes. was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's a really cool one. Yeah. It is. It's really. Um, it's really kind of pleasing and kind of. Yeah. There's just it those sort is. of three colors. Yeah. It very simply conveys all this motion and like traveling mm -hmm. and movement. And yet it's just like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12 13 lines yeah like 13 actual brush strokes and that's it right it's really yeah. cool yeah it's very cool her stuff is delightful yeah. and it's bright colors yep. like it's very engaging it's not drab um there's a neat one on the ortuzarprojects.com website that is a series of five little a4 paintings lined up next to each other one two three four five in a row um <clears throat> and one of them looks like it's a red background with what looks like a whitish cloud and two little blue eyeballs and then like kind of a squiggly dark colored smile. <laughs> it looks like really cute. I don't know. Very adorable. Her oh, work is yes. really adorable. Yeah, like, it's really, really adorable. Um, yeah. It's very sweet. Like it's very um, unobtrusive and yet it's very delightful to look at. Like Yeah, yeah really interesting so there's all these um paintings and drawings of hers that were made between april 6th uh or sorry the made between 1993 and 2018 and the showing is from april 6th to may 22nd um <clears throat> at this Orchuzar projects website yeah so and if you're... apparently they're displayed in person in new york yeah so if you're in new york right now um this might be worth a look. This is at the, it looks like it's on uh, White Street. Yep. Nine White Street, New York, New York, 10013. Yeah. So. Info at Yep. I would love to go see that. Yes. I don't know that I'm going to make it before the end of May. No. May. No, probably not. Um, I will not make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, worth worth keeping an eye out for uh, if yes. there's more of her work out on display in the world. But um, yeah, I anyway. So that's a little kind of featured artist thing. So there, there you go. Take that, critics of our podcast who thought we weren't doing art and design. 
Yeah. We talked about a designer and an <clears throat> artist's daughter. Ooh, I just found her. Um, I just found her biography. Her, uh, what's the word for it? I can't think of the word for it. Curriculum vitae. Oh, oh, where's that? So on the uh, ortusarprojects.com website, yeah. if you look in the left margin, it says Lisa Ponte Drawings 93 2018 press release bio works press and it's under bio. So if you click on bio, it has a listing oh. of all of her solo exhibitions going backwards from 2021, which is the one that we're talking about right now at the Ortusar Project. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Bolsano, Italy. Pestum, uh, Milan, Toronto, Italy, Barcelona, Spain, Rome, Milan, Milan, Ravenna, Sereno, Pestum, Brescia, Barcelona. Oh, I found a typo. Well, I found a typo in her curriculum writing. You're going to have to email somebody about that. I guess so. Um, so yeah. there's like so much here. I'm scrolling backwards through these pages. So yeah. one, two, three, three pages that goes back to 1996. Yeah. Of, and it's of like, I'm noticing like most of her exhibitions are in Italy <coughs> and Spain, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of a tragedy. I mean, I, I think it's great. Like her first exhi exhibition that's listed here anyway is in New York is this mm -hmm. one. Um and I think that's a shame for us as in the U.S. Like we've missed out on some. Well, not yet. Yeah. It's still possible to see it. So um, there's some cool shit to look at. I would love to get like, <clears throat> you know how you can get those vinyl stickers made that cover whole walls in your house? And stuff? Yes. It'd be really cool to have one of her pictures turned into like a big wall sticker. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Did they you, blow up really nice. They yeah, yeah. They're really I mean, they're just really like they feel really whimsical and um I don't know if whimsical is the right word. They some of them are whimsical, some of them are not. Some of them have mm -hmm. a little bit more um yeah, I don't know. I think they really they capture some really interesting like thoughts and ideas and Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm having these trees in my yard cut down because they yes. grew up and nobody trimmed them when it was appropriate to trim them. And so now they're like a $2,500 problem that we're solving. Oh, ouch. Uh-huh. Think of all the great wall art you could be buying with that money instead. I know. That's I'm right. just struggling to... <laughs> I got a flap sweat over that money. Got a flap sweat um, over that money. <laughs> got a tree flap sweat. Uh-huh. Got a... We have. I did run into my neighbors. My neighbors yeah. live sort of behind us because of the way the block is structured and oriented. Um, our houses are at a 90 degree angle to each other. Yes. And so our garages behind our houses are right next to each other. And our houses are way far away from each other. And we never see these people because they have like a big old garage that they actually park in and then they walk out of the garage into the house. And so we never see them outside usually. Oh, I see. Right. Um, yeah. They sneak in <laughs> through the garage. Yeah. So. Uh, <coughs> uh oh, it's COVID. Um, it is COVID. I'm having my COVID shot on Tuesday. Oh, fantastic. I get the Johnson and Johnson one. So just the one shot. 
Oh, cool. I don't have to go back for a second one. That that might Damon be Damon really and nice. I are both going to get them. Yeah. Although Damon has to get his scheduled. Mine is already scheduled. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we've got these big old fucking trees. And I ran into the neighbor and I was like, hey, can you call the Excel Energy Power Company to have them come trim these trees? And then I will be happy to take them off of the planet the rest of the way down. But yeah. for right now, they're like <clears throat> perilously entangled with the overhead power lines. Uh-huh. And so cutting them down or trimming them is not something that I am prepared to do. Right, right. But uh, I'm excited because once these trees actually come down, there's the ones behind the garage, which will clear the way for us to put solar on the roof of the garage. Oh, and fantastic. Then, yeah. And then there's a big tree by the back door of the house that needs to come down because it popped up on the fence line and didn't get trimmed. And then when I bought the house, it was already too big to trim. Yeah. It was a tree. And so now it has to be brought down. Um, and there's a big spruce in my yard that is half bare because they already came and trimmed that one for the electrical wires, but they hadn't taken the whole thing down yet. So I have all these trees in various stages of development and or taking downedness. <clears throat> and I'm excited because once they're gone, we can like re-level the yard and make it so that it drains appropriately. And then we can put in gardens. And I'm really excited about this. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, trees are um I to be clear, I love trees and I love trees too. Yeah, they're uh <laughs> I think people forget like if you haven't done a lot of gardening, you don't realize how even if a tree doesn't actually shade your garden, if it's nearby, sometimes it can be really detrimental because it just sucks all the water out of your garden and all the nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, yeah. as they're wont to do, but um like I <laughs> like I have at my place now there's a um there's a garden box like a planter box yeah that's on the ground but it's between two fruit trees and the first year i moved here i was i kind of thought oh, i'll try and grow something in there i kind of knew but um i was like oh, i'll just like maybe put some barrier down and see if i can get something to grow on the surface on the topsoil mm -hmm. and I, it was okay like i grew some tomatoes and things but um it's like a double whammy. So like there's two fruit trees that like part like are right next to the planter box. They just suck all the water out of it. And then um and then yeah. as soon as it's like peak growing season, <clears throat> like they, they're leafless like during the winter, right? And so mm -hmm. it looks really sunny in the planter box. And so like when you go to plant, you're like, Yeah, these are gonna get some good <laughs> sun. And then literally by the time it's like peak growing season, the leaves just Shit. explode on the trees and it's just like pitch black down. I mean it's not, but it's like so shaded down below that it's like you're just like, There's no point. This this planter box no. is just for show. Like there's no point in having anything in here. Um so, uh, but thankfully my landlord was like, uh, let's just take it out. And so I'm going to put a patio down there instead, which will be really cool. Um, nice. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, speaking of down there. design, what's that? A patio would be good because you could do a container garden and then you could just move the pots with yes, the changing seasons. That's exactly my plan. I got some, uh, I got two really big terracotta pots um, that I'm going to put some things in there. I kind of want to grow peppers. Um, Ooh. yeah I've been kind of thinking your about... climate is perfect for growing peppers yep yeah so I've been thinking about peppers um, we already have citrus trees in the yard um, so I don't really need to like do that oh, but... and you have pomegranate too yep yep pomegranate so nice. lemons oranges no lime tree I'd like to have a lime tree I don't think I've ever lived where there's a lime tree limes I like I limes. limes yeah what <clears throat> <laughs> from fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Oh right, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Limes. Speaking what of limes? speaking of flop sweat. 
Right. Um, <laughs> like that movie is just a flop sweat from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, High speed flop sweat. I man, flop sweat's so funny. Like drugs. The funny thing is, like anything. That's kind of like anything that like I feel like I take an aspirin and I start flop sweating. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything. You know, the only thing that I think sometimes I don't necessarily get flop sweat for is um, if I have to get a blood draw. And so oh. I get flop sweat before, but during my body is so like it just locks down, like my vessels just constrict up, my blood mm-hmm. stops flowing. Um, there is no like my body's like normally like have all the fluids, but as soon as somebody actually wants them, they're like, nope, none no. for you. <laughs> right. Get away from me. I just me. got dumb, done dumping all this fluid over here. Now you want to take it out of me over there? This isn't going to work. Right. I also have the same thing with getting blood drawn. I I had to go to get a, a checkup, you know, because I yeah. haven't had one since 2015. <clears throat> and at that point, they told me I had no cancer and nothing wrong with me. But in the intervening years, I've had a lot of stress and terrible things happen. And so I was like, maybe I better go make sure I'm not dying. And right. I did. And I'm not dying. But. Unless the flop what sweat. Well, super... we'll get to the flop sweat issue. But yes. anyway. Well, the whole drive in the car there, like yes. the whole, like the week preceding thinking about it, I was it's terrified about it. Like right. I almost called them to cancel it because <laughs> I was so terrified of just having my blood drawn. Right. Uh-huh. And so um, like that's the other weird thing. Other people's blood and like extreme gore even oh, doesn't yes. bother me. Right. It doesn't make right. me feel like I'm going to faint. It doesn't make me <clears throat> sick to my stomach. If, if it's mine, especially if like, oh, my God, if I'm bleeding from my head, like from a nosebleed or something, oh, yes. I have a hard time staying conscious. <laughs> and so like when I went to this checkup, they had the phlebotomist lady actually came into my room. So I didn't have to like get up and march my ass down uh-huh. like death row to the like right. lab. Right. I just right. had to sit there and not move. And they came to me with the like the little cart. And they took all my blood and <clears throat> it was funny because I've been taking um, some uh, some stuff called natokinase, which is like a, an enzyme that comes out of natto, which is yes. Japanese soybeans that have been fermented. And basically they rot and you eat them and they're amazing. If uh-huh. you like, do you like funky natto? <laughs> um, if you like funky things, uh, <laughs> So to speak. It's delicious. It smells like gym socks. It's like stinky. It's stinky like blue cheese is stinky or you okay. know, like other stinky gotcha. foods. Right. Um and it's very delicious. But one of eating it has the effect of um causing like scar tissue and stuff like um clots and obstructions in your circulatory system. It breaks those up. And so oh, um it can be really good like people who eat a lot of natto because of like their heritage they live in Japan or whatever they eat it a lot generally speaking have significantly better cardiovascular health than other people who don't eat it and they don't tend to people who eat natto a lot tend not to have things like blood clots or like cardiovascular incidents from blockages or like inflammation and scarring and things like that and so i've been taking just like the pure form of it without eating the natto which is kind of hard to find around here mm-hmm. um but i've just been taking natto kinase and um it's supposed to i i take it because i've been on like uh 
chemical oral birth control pills since I was 19 years old and I'm 41 now. And that can cause all kinds of circulatory problems. And right, it hasn't caused right. any for me yet, but I'm taking this as like insurance, you know, like for blood clots. Like right, if right. I get a blood clot, I might break it up. But the thing is, it also thins out your blood a little bit, which if you're a normal person like me and you don't have any other like disorders with your circulatory system, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but if you have like issues where a thin, it, having thin blood, like if you are a hemophiliac or you have bleeding or bruising disorders or things like that, you shouldn't take it because right. it can cause your blood to get too thin. So I, <laughs> I went in and like you, I normally am like, my blood pressure is like so high and everything's constricted and I'm just like uh -huh. clamped down yes. and like, um, <laughs> so I went in this time and I was like pretty chill by the time they came in because I had had a long conversation with my, um, healthcare provider whose dad used to be a professor and lectured on ethics and so we got in this whole conversation about bioethics before oh, they came to take my blood which probably saved me yeah um, so yeah by really the time they came you. in yeah. i was in a great mood and yeah. i did not have a flop sweat and then they showed up with the cart and then i did have a flop sweat but because of that natto kinase they took my blood and it like shot out of me <laughs> Like it was like spewing out of my arm, and it didn't take them long at all to fill up the two little tubes of it. But it was just like uh -huh. holy shit! And I watched it like jet, and like it it flew as soon as they hooked up the second tube. It like the reason I was watching this was because I'm obsessed. Like I can't not watch when they're coming at me with the needle. I have to watch it go into my arm. Like I can't yes. just yeah, look away same. and know I'm that it's going to be over soon. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, like eyes cracked open as wide as they go. Like, just watching uh -huh. the needle come at me in slow motion. And so once they got it in on the first try and they screwed that little like jar onto it. Yep. I wasn't looking at that point. I had looked away because I was like, oh, God, it's in my arm. I can relax now. Uh -huh. And it, it's just up until the point that they get it in my arm that I really freak out. It's the beforehand, not the during. Right. And right. so when they switched out that second tube, I was watching the second time because I was kind of curious to see how much my blood had thinned out. And it like shot back and like ricocheted off of the rounded end of the tube. Like oh. it went airborne the whole way to the back of the uh -huh. tube. Right. Right. I was like, oh, that's kind of <laughs> gross. <laughs> like, it was like shooting out of my arm at high pressure. That's so hilarious. Bad. That's funny. I wonder how long it would take to exsanguinate. I have like eight liters of blood in my body. That's yeah, it it would. I mean, it's all about, you know, how big the hole is, right? right. Um, you know, really quickly or a really long time. Right. Pinprick yes. or, a, you know. <laughs> Forever. Forever. Yeah. I've just had a slow bleed on this side since 1988. <laughs> right. Seems fine. It seems fine. <laughs> Any day now. Any day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. Just absurd. I really like my neighborhood clinic. Well, it's not in my neighborhood. It's in the south side of Minneapolis. So it's uh -huh. not actually my neighborhood. I just really like the clinic and I want to go there because I support what they're doing. Yeah. Um, they're really big into social justice and stuff. They're very cool. But um, their whole their whole thing, like this is the least stressful clinic I've ever been at in my entire life. That's it's nice. like very small. It's attached to a school. So it's just this little like school community health center. Anyway, they're, they've really stepped up their game in the last few years. I really like it there. That's cool. I just yeah. noticed I was just kind of skimming through some of our research material for uh, Lisa Ponte and oh yeah, the title of the um, article in uh, I guess it's Moose Magazine M O U S S E. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, is uh, the title of it is 
a narrow ladder with which to steal apples. Oh. And uh, ha- since we'd only skimmed this, I'm not sure exactly what that reference is. Um, but this is huh. a pretty cool article. Um, yes, I'm looking at it now. I see this. Yeah. Moosemagazine.it. Yeah. I think it's huh. kind of unfortunate. Like, they ask a lot of questions about... Um... Oh, actually, here's a good one. She wrote, so... ch- she wrote children's books. Yeah. The very first question is a good one. Um, so the uh, the interview interviewer asks, you have a saying, you don't have to do much. Where does it come from? Um, and then Lisa Ponte responds, I still believe that. It was in part a reaction to my father, Gio Ponte, who wanted to do a lot. Morning, noon, and night, nonstop. He didn't need to sleep, and he had thousands of ideas, but you need to stop now and then. If you had met Gio Ponte, you would understand. The reaction was one of survival. Um, and so I think I think That's she's cool. kind of like, and I, I like that. There is a... If you've ever been around somebody who's like really driven to like get a lot of shit done, um, I I enjoy that from time to time, right? Like a very like yeah. like a burst of productivity and um but there's also like sometimes people just can't just fucking chill for a minute. Um because sometimes you're not mm-hmm. actually doing any good when you're off running doing that thing, like, you know, trying to get the project done on time or whatever, and you're just actually just fucking shit up. Um Yeah. I get that. Um, I, it's interesting. I tend to uh, release my nervous energy on my house. So I'll build something or clean something. Cleaning something always works for me mm-hmm. uh, because the activity itself isn't going to like, okay, for example, if you're making art yeah. and you're frantic and antsy and you can't stop moving and you have a lot of frenetic energy and stuff, you're going to ruin the art you're working on because you're going to overdo it. But right. you can't really overdo it when you're cleaning a house. Right. It just gets more clean. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I think I would I would even extrapolate from that to say, like, when you're making art, whatever state you're in is going to be well reflected in the art. And so if that's yes. <laughs> if that's what you're doing, like, don't don't take our word, you know, don't let me dissuade you from doing that. Um but yeah i know what you mean like having a lot of um yeah like last night i was cleaning my stove and i was thinking about you because um i remember we had visited one time and i had like a we you you had come to visit yeah uh, and um i had had like i there was something in my stove like in the you know in the on the top of the stove like in (laughs) in the burners like a stain or not a stain but just a big blob of burnt food or whatever and i remember you just talking about like like you just did this hand signal to me where you're like, oh yeah, like we're basically sitting there in our flop sweat as we often both foster in each other immediately because we're often like surprising each other with like ridiculous ideas about some absurd yes. shit, which is all it takes. You just turn around yeah. and then I'm just like beads of sweat forming on my brow as I'm thinking about what we're about to do, which whatever it is, like whether it's some art project or recording on a podcast. And uh-huh. so, but then you would like, you made this like hand signal to me that... Um, people will recognize like it's easier to imagine like the signal the symbol of like scratching records you know like oh i'm gonna be a dj but but (laughs) what you were referring to was how we're gonna clean that spot like neurotically (laughs) for hours like (laughs) check this out yeah 
Um, yeah. and, you, and like, and the look in your eye of like the sort of the sort of like hunger for that like experience of cleaning this spot off of the stove, yeah. and the sort of um, the kind of like <laughs> desire to like be in that space, like it was just hilarious to me. I just stuck in my mind. It just burned. Just a moment. Um, but yeah, it was really funny. I love cleaning floors on my hands and knees. I fill up the sink with uh-huh. <clears throat> my cleaning solution, which is usually mild bleach and water or yeah. like super strong vinegar acidic acid and water yeah and then i just um like i get the i use microfiber to clean the floor and i mm-hmm. put little gloves on and i just do it on my hands and knees because then you can get all along the baseboards like recently i washed my whole house i washed all the walls all the woodwork and the floors because it was like the first nice day where we could actually open the windows after months of oh, being mm-hmm. shut like, up inside up, yeah yeah and like no matter how good of a furnace filter you have if you have a furnace filter that's excellent like super crazy good it can ruin your furnace because it has to work so hard to force air through the through the filter Mm -hmm. and so i don't buy like the super high-end filters i buy somewhere like in the upper middle range because they still allow airflow but i have a cat and i have a basement and it just gets dusty that's just what happens and so uh i have to frequently like just kind of do uh a wash down of the whole house um especially in the summertime because we leave all of the windows and doors open and so it's like pollen and all kinds of weird shit just blows into the house and it creates yeah. this sort of like layer on everything mm-hmm. but yeah i clean i like to clean the floors and oh my gosh <clears throat> i'm usually like whenever i get super stressed about something i clean mm-hmm. because i can get the energy out and it's not gonna like fuss over something that isn't fuss worthy you know? right right or just oh isn't my god productive. Le- Right. Like if I'm high anxiety and I sit down to write an email, somebody on the other end of that email is going to be like, what's going, what the fuck is going there? on over yeah, there? Yeah. And by the time they get back to me, I'll be in a completely different frame of mind. I'll be like, what? And then I'll read it and I'll be like, oh, I was frantic. Right. <laughs> I should have cleaned the house before I wrote this email. Right. <laughs> like, so this is, uh, I've been getting a flop sweat lately because we've been watching that, the, um, murder trial Derek Chauvin's murder trial Derek Chauvin is the former Minneapolis police officer who killed George Floyd in the street in Mm -hmm. (laughs) like last May almost a year ago and they're finally just getting around having the trial and all of these things and we watched all the jury selection and that was like hair raising and frantic like I I was just like oh god figuring out who like you know what to expect from defense attorneys you know what to expect from prosecuting attorneys like they're gonna Everything about the job they do is to prove the point that they are right and that someone does or doesn't deserve to be punished for a thing. Right. And so you know how those are going to go. But the jury selection was fucking nerve wracking because you're like, oh, God, who's going to end up making this decision? And their whole idea was like they wanted to find people who didn't have strong opinions one way or another about either any of the any of the factors involved the police black lives matter george floyd himself mm-hmm. like minneapolis police department like if you had strong opinions about any of these things they wouldn't let you on the jury and they actually refused to seat a woman who was bilingual you told me because that. she was bilingual right and the way that they framed it was like oh maybe she's not gonna have the like language comprehension it's going to take and i'm like you motherfuckers she's fluent in two languages which is one more than you are you're right so like her comprehension may be better than either of you right i have a reason that that i have a feeling that the reason that they didn't let her on the jury was because in addition to being bilingual she was also biracial right 
right. which is a huge factor in this case. Anyway, um, so we watched all the jury selection, and that was fucking nerve-wracking. And, like, I was telling some people yesterday, I think I told you about this, too. Uh, well, you know this about me. Whenever something, like, even remotely traumatic or, like, startling or anything happens, in addition to a flop sweat, I usually get, like, a searing memory in my brain of mm-hmm. the incident. Right. And, like, any other nearby objects or, like, images or any or geographic locations, like, those things become part of the memory and so i can't experience those things without experiencing the attached upsetting memory too like for instance there's a restaurant in northeast minneapolis that is no longer at its current or at its former location it's called punch pizza and they had this big patio and one fall day i went and i got some pizza and i sat on the patio and i read a book and it was bright daylight and it was like super nice outside and sunny and I was reading Chuck Palahniuk's book, Haunted, which is this compendium of horror stories, all written by different artists who, in the book, are at this artist retreat, writer retreat, right? Yeah. Uh, they're writing stories together. So anyway, the stories are super freaky and terrifying. And um, <clears throat> there's one called The Nightmare Box that I was reading while I was sitting on this patio. And every time I see this patio now, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> because of the... Because I read this creepy story while I was sitting on the patio. And in my memory, the patio is like this sort of like creepy, scary place, even though I know that like I was there when it was really nice out. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't like thunderstorming and like the lights going out or something. It was outdoors in the sunshine. But anyway, because I'm glued to this trial and because I refuse to not watch every single second of this trial, sometimes on repeat later, yeah. uh-huh. and because I'm obsessed with the actual things that the things that they're arguing are really interesting in this particular trial, mm-hmm. the, the actual legal arguments that they're making. So I'm obsessed with it, and I realized if I'm going to watch this every single day for eight hours a day for like a month or two in a row, yeah, uh, I, there's going to be all kinds of negative associations that I make between what's going on on the television in this trial and like objects and places in my home that I might be standing when somebody says something fucked up. Like I have now watched the murder of George Floyd from between 10 and 15 different angles the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Like right. 10 minutes at a time. Right. Watching somebody die on over and over again. How, how about from up here? How about from over here to the left? How about from down under here? How about over from this person's camera cell phone across the street? How about from the cell phone right in front of this person? How about like uh, all of the body cams, car camera videos, like just so many videos. And so in order to stave off the like attendant trauma yeah. and the negative associations with things in my home, I went down into my basement and I took the computer and I put it on streaming and I've been like doing all kinds of lead abatement of like old lead paint on surfaces in our old, old, old house. And I'm doing this so that when, when I'm listening and watching this trial, um, I'm actually physically changing the environment that I'm in. So whatever piece of the basement I'm working on, when there's some kind of negative association made that, piece of the basement will be transformed into something that doesn't have a negative connotation afterwards Mm -hmm. and so the basement itself is sort of like this big project that's allowing me to like displace some of my um anxiety and upset over this and use it to generate a better scenario than i walked into in the first place because the basement's gonna be gorgeous when i'm done (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome yeah (coughs) hopefully that will uh that will play out really well for you because I, yeah, that, that trial I've watched, I've not been able to 
immerse myself in it the way that you've mm -hmm. you've done that but um yeah I've, i i try to keep up with it because it's it is like it's a big deal like it's such a big deal like it's it's really like a big focal point on the conversation around racism and the problem like that we have in this country i think um yeah or some of you know one of the problems like you know it's, yeah it's like the, it's the of intersection issues, of like the the righteousness of policing and and the the validation of policing as an institution and also where it like intersects with racism yeah <clears throat> and like i mean everybody here is basically almost unanimously in agreement that like somebody was murdered and it was in a way that we all recognize is completely unacceptable right and so depending on how this plays out with the jury and stuff like I don't know. I I would not be a bit surprised if my city's on fire again this summer. We'll yeah. Put it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The outcome and the verdict is going to be. Yeah, because the question deal. is: Is there any like? Is there ever? Is there ever going to be accountability for like? Right. Fucking black people getting lynched in the streets. Like, yeah. is there ever? Is the? Is there anything that the police can't do? Right. Is like the question at hand here like they just minneapolis police terrorize people it's so bad there are other places that are bad too but it's really bad here because of the long the long tradition of like extreme racism in minnesota mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so we'll see the other police officers the other three officers that were involved in the murder are aren't being tried until later this summer and that could lead to all kinds of shit too yeah I mean, that's gonna be yeah that's a whole new, new can of worms it's gonna be a long ride. Um, yeah. So I, you mentioned something, and I thought we'd link it back a little bit to the topic of this podcast. So you mentioned mm. uh, lead abatement, and um, yes. I was thinking, you know, speaking of things that you don't realize might be killing you, right? Because um, I think lead poisoning is a really interesting issue. Um, so there was that, and I may be wrong here. I think I'm. I think this is right. I just I just looked it up again to confirm. But um, one of the falls of, you know, one of the possible reasons that Rome fell or one of the things that people kind of link it to was that they used lead pipes for their plumbing. Um, and so they or they the sort of the waterworks sort of upgrade that happened in Rome where they'd kind of discovered or basically created the ability to make these lead pipes meant that they could pipe mm -hmm. water much further and create a more expansive cityscape um, because water is such a critical part of existence and having to go a long way to water really like gets in the way of other things you can be doing with your time. Yeah. Um, and so... And so the idea is that at one of its, at like kind of the height of Rome, it had this incredibly complex lead plumbing infrastructure, uh, which which suggests that uh, much of the population was suffering from lead poisoning. <laughs> yes, um, which makes you intellectually regress to some degree and also like makes you really violent. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> so um, great. yeah, it's it's really bad for you um and like i just like i imagine like it's just kind of a nightmare scenario where it's just like the whole population is just like over time becoming more on edge like everyone you know around you is just becoming more insane and more crazy and and um 
And the crazy thing is like, it really can depend on individuals, like how they react to it. Um, but, uh, like basically like depression, uh, intermittent pain, like muscle and joint pain, diarrhea, mm -hmm. um, like malaise, fatigue, uh, problems with sleep, um, you get these You're basically of... describing my dad because he's like a total gun nut and he reloads all of his own ammunition when he goes shooting. And so he's handling like just he's way too much physically lead. in contact with lead all of the time. And he's had his the fucked up thing about lead is that once it's in you, it doesn't come out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really... chelating it out of your system is really fucking basically functionally impossible. Right. Um, and it builds up. That's a it's a toxic heavy metal. So my dad's lead levels are like crazy high. And he's always complaining about some kind of pain. Oh God! Uh huh. It's terrible. It is per terrible. Oh, he went it and also had like his blood tested for lead levels, and it was like psychotically high. They were like, "Oh, you you have too much. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Your allotment of lead is is over. Yeah, is too much. It's exceeded normal. Like limits. wear gloves or something, man. Right. So, yeah, like it also leads to short term memory loss, which is. You know, yep. fucking, you know, how are you going to manage a whole city when you're just like, no one could remember what the fuck they were doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, just so bad. So that's terrible for you. Yeah. Like, as it just, you know, I just yeah, thought it was kind of interesting. Um, like little children enjoy eating lead paint chips. Oh, just because the like, flavoring of it or something. Yeah. Like the so, lead. Yes. It has apparently, it has like a vaguely, lead paint a very, apparently has a vaguely like sweet flavor to it. Oh, interesting. Which, here's the thing. Yeah. Like never in my wildest dreams as an, as an aware organism have I been tempted to peel something off of a surface and then eat it. Right. I mean, like it's not candy. It doesn't taste that good. Right. 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 So like all this, I wonder, like they're always talking about kids eating lead paint chips. And I'm just like, I feel like this is not actually a thing that happens. I feel like the damage comes from people having lead pipes in their house, not eating paint chips. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I but like I definitely heard this over and over again. Little kids eat paint chips. And our basement has like cinder block walls, you know, for the foundation. Yeah. And I suspect at one time that it had a dirt floor, but now it has a poured concrete floor. Our house is very strange. It's really hard to tell what happened to it when or yeah, what it started right. out like. Because um, it's like, it's the deed says it was built in 1900. But the local records office here in Northeast Minneapolis burnt down in like either 1899 or 1900. And so when they recreated all of the deeds, all of them just said 1900. So my house could be like... 150 years old it's wow. definitely at least 121 yeah it could be much older than that um i don't really know but anyway it's kind of confusing the way that the house was built it's like a shotgun house but it's two stories and there's like a thing off the back and then there's a basement that is basically the entire footprint in the house and it's really weird um and there was lead paint on the walls in the basement and that mm. has been peeling and in general they're like well if you're not spending time in that as a living space like if you just go down there to drop off laundry and pick it up and come back up and you're not sitting down there then you don't really need to worry and the code is such that if it's not like if there's not a bedroom for mm -hmm. example in the basement or a family room then there's no legal regulatory requirement to do lead abatement 
because there's no children, nobody's going to lick the wall. Like, right. you're never down right. there. But we want to spend lots of time down there and do lots of stuff down there and use the space because it's like a lot of square feet. And so it's like, we've got to clean up all that lead. We can't be down there, you know, basically in contact with it constantly. And I also have to have the basement tested for radon. I need a radon kit, which is like radon is a radioactive gas. Yeah, yeah. And it can is collect plentiful. Yeah, yeah, it is plentiful, but houses oftentimes can collect it because of the way they basically create a cap over the earth and so it, it collects right. up in the yeah. Um so I need to test for radon in our basement too to make sure I have a flop sweat about radon because it gives you lung cancer. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Um, and you, when you breathe in the dust from a dusty basement, the dust is irradiated from the radon gas that seeps up through your basement floor through the cement. And so uh, if you have seepage of radon, then you're going to get lung cancer if you hang out in your house. And because our furnace is in the basement, it kicks air throughout the house and circulates air throughout the house, including from the basement, which means that it could circulate radon gas throughout the house if we have radon. Anyway, there's stuff that you can do to fix that if it if you are able to determine that that's a problem for you. But these are all things that I'm working on now so that we can use the basement later. And by this winter, when we have to go back indoors and hide from the world for another four to five or six months, yeah. we can like put our garden in the basement. That'll be fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, and that's kind of the point of this whole podcast is to kind of be aware of, um, you know, things that you don't realize might be killing you. Things um, might be killing you. Your flop sweat might be killing you. We yep. still have to explain that. I'm sure. We do. Yeah. I, um, so I thought just before we get to that, um, cause we do need to wrap up cause I have to, I have to go. Um, you have to be a human being that moves through the world. Yes. So, um, but I thought, so just before we do that, let's, um, I just got an email from our research department on the color of the day. So let color me, of the day. I'll send you a link in our, our chat. And okay. then, uh, so this color of the day is, uh, We've got two colors, obviously, because really having two colors is what you need in order to put any one color in context, is to have something <laughs> in reference, right? Otherwise, your brain just processes it to a neutral gray color eventually. Um, <laughs> so uh, the two colors of today, we've got uh, tegular strabotomy and epidermal lodgepole. <laughs> so tegular strabotomy is, uh, so this is the, um, the color values for this are uh the rgb colors are 161 5 183 and the hash number so the hash value is uh hash a 105 b7 and this is kind of a it's a pretty purple color it's a lighter yes. purple um and then epidermal lodgepole is a complementary color to uh, tegular strabotomy, which is its RGB values are 94, uh, 94, 250, 72. And it's hash value. Again, you can just drop the hash values right in Google and you'll you'll find this. So if you just uh, right. put in a um, Octothorpe 5 EFA48, um, again, that's Octothorpe or hashtag or pound sign as you like to, uh, as you prefer, uh, 5EFA48. Drop that in. You'll see it, a very bright green. What? Why is it called an Octothorpe? Uh, that's just the name of it. Octo what about it? Octo, like eight, one, two, three, four. There's four lines that create the hash mark. Yes. Um, <coughs> and there's eight tips, right? 
ah, that must be what it is then. Yep. So um, number sign, hash, or uh, pound sign. I read an interesting article about the pound sign, and we might want to actually do a full podcast on it. But um, the reason that it is named, we should talk about it. We should do another podcast, at least a short or something, about why it's, at least in North America, why it's referred to as the pound sign. Nice. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. I like I like the purple color. It's kind of like a super intense magenta. Like, yeah. Yes. It's like a plum color. If a kid picked the slightly too intense purple for a kid drawing of a plum. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tegular strabotomy. It's Tegular like a, a loud plum. A loud and plum. Then, yeah. Epidermal lodgepole kind of reminds me of like the classic highlighter green highlighting color yes. in the Microsoft Word document. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly like, what I was thinking. Yeah. Bright, crazy, unnatural green. Yeah. Crazy, unnatural <laughs> green. Just really, really bright. Um, so yeah, those are the colors of the day. And then if we'd love to hear from you and if you want to get a hold of us, you can email Dana, our executive assistant. That's D A N A at FCBM.io. Uh, give us your thoughts, ideas, comments, um, whatever you want to say, send it on and she'll get it either forwarded to one of us or, um, you know, we'll talk about it on the podcast if you so desire, but you know, let us know what you, what your thoughts are. Um, all right. I think that's it. I think that's all I got to say today. So, um, yeah. Oh no, we forgot to tell people how their flop sweat might be killing them. Well, you'll figure it out. I mean, it's. It's fine. Um, just listen. We'll we'll do a short on that one and, and resolve that later because I got to go. But um, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Uh, All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.